Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. We have so many guests on this show making a difference in our lives, making a difference all around the world with the expertise that they bring. And yet so many of you are reaching out to me saying, you want more. It's not enough, just what we're putting on these podcast episodes for you. And so I am here to extend a very warm welcome to you to our Difference Maker community where you can join for as little as $5 a month to get all this extra content out the gate. You're going to get 30 plus minisodes of exclusive content not available for the regular podcast listeners and an exclusive minisode every month. And you'll get exclusive voting power to help us pick podcast topics and more. And that's with our changers tier. There's three different main tiers and then an extra uh, larger tier. But whatever tier that you join at, you will be included in this extra content. And I know that many of you are wanting to go a little bit deeper. And so even though it gets a little wild in there sometimes because of how deep we go, I want you to join us there. This extra content is very special. It means a great deal to me to be a part of this community with you. And I would love to just exchange uh, ideas or perspectives that you have around these different episodes. And that's the place where we do it. So please show up to our Difference Maker community. Give us $5 out of your pocket every month. And I think that you'll have a lot of fun in there because we do. And I would love for you to join us. So go to patreon.com slash a world of difference to join us there. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm Lori Adams Brown, and this is a podcast for those who are different and want to make a difference. Happy International Women's Day to every woman around the world. And if you're a man or a boy listening to this, please find the women in your life and wish them a very happy International Women's Day. Today, we have a very special guest. Allison McKinney-Tim is the executive director and founder of Justice Revival, and I met her um, as I was coming onto the board where I serve with her and some other incredible women as we work toward all kinds of initiatives, such as the Faith for ERE campaign, and she's going to be talking to us today about her experience um, in the Senate very recently. We recorded this interview just a couple of days after she was at a Senate hearing on the ERE. She's going to share a little bit about that. But just so you know who she is, um, Allison is a human rights lawyer, a scholar, and a faith leader with two decades of experience where she has been defending the dignity and rights of those on the margins, both in the United States and globally. Her work promoting justice and equality has spanned the nonprofit, private, and academic sectors. After she founded Justice Revival in 2017, Allison was named one of 10 faith leaders to watch by the Center for American Progress the following year. She's had writing that's appeared in Christian Century, Sojourners, California Lawyer, The Independent USA Today, Yale Divinity Schools, Reflections Magazine, and many others. 
As the Robert M. Cover Allard K. Lowenstein Fellow in International Human Rights at Yale Law School, Allison taught and supervised students in the Lowenstein International Human Rights Clinic, investigating and analyzing issues such as early enforced marriage, human trafficking, religious liberty, and human rights to education and housing. And while she was at Yale, she co-taught an undergraduate course in human rights, where um you know, you, as you will hear in this interview, she is a huge advocate for human rights. Um, she studied both at Yale, Law, at Yale Divinity School, and she also has been, uh, she worked here in San Francisco or the Bay Area where I live um, as a lawyer and then ended up in IJM with um, helping with their directing their field office in Uganda, where she started working with many widows, um, learning to explore what it meant to work for their rights in a place like Uganda. And she has shared with us her story of um, being back in the United States and realizing uh, so much work needed to be done here in the U.S. related to human rights and especially getting people of faith around that, which is where in a coffee shop on a napkin, <laughs> the Justice Revival was born. But yes, she studied at Yale Divinity School. She has an MDiv from Yale. She studied um, for her law degree. She has a Doctor of Law from Georgetown, and she also has an MBA from Georgetown. So she's very skilled in many areas, theology, law, and just her international experience. Um, and while she was at Yale, she co-taught an undergraduate course in human rights and served as a guest speaker and consultant on issues at the intersection of human rights and religion. During her time in New Haven, um, like I mentioned, she earned her Master of, in of Divinity at Yale, and she also co-led the Women's Center and organized a symposium on campus sexual assault. This is a woman who cares very deeply about justice, but it's been born out of her faith. Um, and her also experience around the world of seeing human rights abuses. And then also here in the United States, you are in for just such a treat today. I am so thrilled to welcome my friend and a spectacular human being to the show today, Allison McKinney, Tim. A very good morning to you, Allie. Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast today. Good morning, Lori. It's great to be with you. Thanks for this invitation. Well, you're welcome. We're on opposite coasts today, but we are on the same page in our minds and hearts about what we're going to talk about. It's the beginning of Women's History Month, and we're celebrating International Women's Day. And it's just so incredible that it worked out for us to have this conversation at such a time as this, because there's so much going on around women, both globally and in the United States. And your heart really beats for justice, and you um, have a very special role, and that's how I met you. So I'd love for you to tell our audience a little bit about you and Justice Revival and its mission. You know, what are some of the reasons that you founded Justice Revival? Well, thanks, Lori. Uh, Justice Revival, as you know, is a diverse and inclusive Christian ministry with a mission of inspiring, educating, and mobilizing Christian action to support the human rights of all people. We do have a domestic focus on justice issues within the United States. A lot of Justice Revival's work over the last six years has been creating innovative Christian education on human rights that we've shared in churches and seminaries across the country, and also convening and leading an interfaith campaign 
for women's rights and gender equality in the U.S. Constitution. And I'm so delighted that you are a part of Justice Revival through your service on our board of directors and really grateful and feel privileged to be colleagues together in this work. Aw, thanks. Me too. It's such a beautiful work. It's such a rare space um, to see justice come together in the U.S. in the way of, that you've created around Justice Revival and bringing people of faith together around it. Um, you know, and I think about this, you know, week that we're celebrating International Women's Day. And I'm curious to know, what do you believe are really the most pressing issues facing women today, both here in the United States and globally? That's an important question. When I think about issues facing women globally and in the U.S., I First of all, it takes me back to my overseas experience because like you, Lori, I've spent some chapters of my life and work in other parts of the world. For me, that's been sub-Saharan Africa, where I worked in Uganda and various other countries throughout the region, always on gender-based rights violations um, before founding Justice Revival about six years ago. And what I see in terms of common themes globally and in the United States are, um, first of all, safety. There is a need, an ongoing need to address problems of gender-based violence, sexual and intimate partner violence in particular, which affect still staggering numbers of women globally, and also in the U.S., where one in three women are affected. Um, I see concerns about provision, um, women being able to earn a livelihood and take care of their families. That is always a foremost concern for poor and low-income women, um, and it's it's an important matter when we talk about sex discrimination because that's where women get hit very often. You know, in the U.S., pay discrimination, the gender wage gap, and also pregnancy discrimination mean that most of that gap is affecting mothers primarily, and it's driving poverty among uh, women-headed households. So that's a chief concern. And then the third I would name is dignity. I think there is a shared struggle for dignity that looks different in different cultures. Sometimes it's addressing harmful cultural practices like uh, female genital cutting or circumcision, um, like abuse of widows, the issue that I addressed in Uganda, um, other types of those harmful practices, or it might it might look like sexual objectification of women in the media or the the prolific pornography industry that has all sorts of harmful aftershocks when we think about women's um, lived experience and struggle to just be treated as human and to be treated as equal. So, so those are three important issues that I think affect every country in the world and are, are certainly a very live struggle in the United States as well. Yes, unfortunately, it's true for those of us who've done work with women around the world. We've seen all kinds of things. And yet, if we're honest, we're seeing all kinds of things here in the United States, although we often want to point fingers elsewhere. <laughs> we certainly have much, much work to do here, which brings me to my next question for you, which is that you recently submitted a Faith for ERA written testimony at the Senate Judiciary Committee's hearing on Equal Rights Amendment um, 
very recently. And so I'd love for you to explain, you know, what the ER is and why it's important to enshrine equality in the U.S. Constitution. So the Equal Rights Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, because I know you have a global audience, so so a lot of folks may not know this issue if you're outside the U.S., but this is a proposed reform or addition to our national constitution. We have a very old constitution, um, and at the time it was created, women were not nearly treated as equal citizens. Women didn't have the right to vote. Women didn't enjoy many rights of citizenship. In fact, women had status closer to property than to citizens under our common law heritage, sadly. And so this is a reform that's really needed to correct that um, clear injustice. It's a reform that's needed in order to afford women a basic equality of citizenship rights. Um, The reform is very brief. It's a very short amendment. And I can even tell you um, the relevant language. It simply says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. And this is a very basic sort of provision Every constitution adopted following World War II has some sort of protection against sex discrimination or some provision for women's rights. And we're one of a few countries that lacks this. So it's important as a matter of principle to begin with, um, thinking about equality as a foundational principle of justice. It's also very important in practical ways because some of the problems I was speaking of before violence against women, Um, even problems like female genital cutting, child marriage still happen in the United States. And our legal system is not set up to enable us to really address those problems. So we've seen some important laws on violence against women and genital cutting struck down by our Supreme Court because the court said There's no basis in the Constitution for our Congress to legislate on those issues. So one of the really clear benefits of the ERA is that it explicitly empowers Congress to take legislative action to ensure women's rights are protected. It also provides a new standard, a new guideline for courts to use, including our Supreme Court, Um, when they're assessing uh, similar issues and cases that come before them. Um, So we think it's long overdue. It's been 100 years in the making, actually. This year is the 100-year anniversary of the introduction of the ERA by a suffrage advocate, Alice Paul, way back in 1923. It's been 50 years since our Congress passed the measure that's under consideration now, And uh, what better time to finally bring it to fruition and bring the United States um, into the democratic 21st century mainstream? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You know, when you explain it like that, I think it feels so cut and dry. Why in the world would the U.S. um, government not have passed this 100 years ago or even 50 years ago? And why is it 2023 and we're still struggling and so the reality is, is, you know, in the history, there have been some opponents such as Phyllis Schlafly, and there's currently opponents to this ERA that, you know, are arguing it's unnecessary or it could have some unintended consequences. 
So how would you respond to those concerns that have been raised? Well, you mentioned two objections that have been raised and continue to be raised. Um, Let me take both of those. One, the idea that it's unnecessary, I think that is really detached from the reality of women's lives, period. And that falls flat and it sort of signals how out of touch folks are when they're saying, we don't need this, we already have rights. By the way, if people valued equality, there wouldn't be a problem with saying it explicitly. So the idea that we already have rights, A, is not true, and B, is not actually um, logically relevant. Um, But, you know, the facts tell us one in three women faces violence in the United States. One in five women faces rape. One in three face uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. Um, There have been uh, some 300,000 child marriages in recent years in this country. Uh, There are half a million women at risk of female genital cutting in the U.S. Um, Women only make 82 cents on the dollar compared to men uh, for the same labor, Um, Every child a woman has leads to about a 7% wage penalty, economists estimate. The pandemic set women back another decade in terms of workplace equity, and I could go on. So there's really a long list of ways women suffer the harms of injustice, sometimes violent, even lethal injustice. And so we need to do everything possible. Now, the ERA isn't a panacea. It's not an overnight fix to all of these complex problems, but it's an essential and necessary starting point. It's no one saying that it is going to finish the job, but it's what we need just to get out of the gate and to get serious about tackling these problems. Now, you mentioned a second objection, which was, Would there be unintended consequences? And this is really timely because I was just um, in a U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee hearing on Tuesday. They had a public hearing and um, a Republican uh, member of the Senate raised this objection. But I think this, too, is misguided. Here's why. Um, There is a general consensus among scholars that part of what the ERA would do is raise the bar on sex discrimination. That is to say, make it harder for the government to use sex as a basis to discriminate in a law, for instance. Um, Now, currently, we have a constitutional provision that provides some protection against sex discrimination. This is the Equal Protection Clause. It just doesn't protect women equally, ironically. But part of what the ERA would do was would be to raise the standard so sex discrimination is really scrutinized as closely as racial or religious discrimination. That doesn't mean that there can never be distinctions between um, uh, how women and men are treated. It means, however, that those distinctions need to be well justified. They need to serve a compelling interest, but it doesn't eliminate the possibility altogether. And so um, when I heard this senator raising this objection, um, I thought it was um, a little 
disingenuous even because you know those who follow the court will know it's it's constantly sort of balancing one consideration in relation to another and something like the ERA just means that it considers women's rights equally alongside those of men but there can still be other important considerations um, that are that are part of the analysis whether it's religious freedom whether it's an important concern like the privacy that that we have in sex specific bathrooms or prisons um, even if we want to talk about women's and men's sports I mean a court can still weigh various considerations it's not like putting its head in the sand and it's certainly not saying that uh, men and women are equivalent or that there's no distinction between us as if the law could even do that it's really it's a it's a broader principle we're equal in dignity we deserve equal opportunity and rights and within that there's a lot of discretion yeah well put there is a lot of fear out there a lot of narratives that have been throughout the history of the ERA to attack it from my perspective um bathrooms <laughs> right have been a part of it and um, women in combat has been a part of it early on in terms of p- why people thought we shouldn't, you know, in the Phyllis Schlafly days, that was a lot of the narrative going around, right? And so it is so important to understand what it will and won't do and not fall prey to some of the narratives that, um, especially with social media now, which 50 and 100 years ago was not a part of it, um, really can raise the blood pressure and um, cause a lot of emotion and fear around the issue. And so, yeah, I'm sure that was all flying around in the Senate because that's, that's what happens in our Senate, unfortunately. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right, Lori. And yes, a lot of those objections are lodged in this sort of culture war drama that is playing out that always has a dimension of how people are using or interpreting religion. Um by the way, you asked early on about why I started Justice Revival, and it just it feels relevant to mention here that um, part of the impetus was seeing that um, Christianity too often gets invoked, really sadly, to oppose human rights rather than uphold it, whereas there is such a strong basis in Christian scripture, in tradition and history to acknowledge, to respect the dignity, the worth of all human uh, siblings on this planet, and to do that by respecting their human rights. And it just seemed that that case is so strong, but too often it doesn't get heard. It gets drowned out by those who are afraid, afraid of inclusion and afraid of equality, things that I know you care about a lot and talk about on your podcast here. Um, But that fear of a more diverse, inclusive, egalitarian society, that's exactly what has driven opposition to the ERA um, for the last 50 years at least. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. So I really appreciate you clarifying some things. And I hope that this podcast in itself causes people just to stay curious and to really research and find out what's true. Um, We can be so easily manipulated by narratives that are intended to evoke fear and cause us to oppose something that really we should be on the side of if we 
share these values, which we often do with people who seem to oppose some of these things. So thank you for clarifying that. I know that listeners are going to want to be involved, those who are feeling, you know, this little stirring in themselves that this is like that those people who care about justice right now are like, what can I do? And so um, I'd love for you to help people understand how they can get involved in advocating for the ERA and other issues related to gender equality. Absolutely. So on the ERA specifically, I would invite um, your listeners to check out justicerevival.org slash ERA, or just go to our homepage and there's a big red support the ERA button. So you can learn a lot. We've got articles, videos, um, resources, a policy brief on there. We also have an interfaith statement of support for the ERA, which we invite faith leaders to join and support and a way for organizations, uh, faith organizations, to reach out about joining this coalition if you're interested. Um, for um, uh, well, another place to to support the ERA is through the ERA Coalition, which we partner with. And so, if organizations are um, perhaps not necessarily religious or faith based like we are, the ERA Coalition is a big, broad. Um, coalition of over 260 member organizations. So that's uh, US-based. But since you have listeners around the world, I also wanted to mention another really important justice measure to protect women's human rights. And this is the Basic Human Rights Treaty on Ending Discrimination Against Women. It's often known by its synonym CEDAW. Um, That's Convention on Elimination of Discrimination Against Women, or it's often known as the Women's Treaty. And uh, this is interesting. The U.S. is one of, I think, only seven countries worldwide that has so far failed to fully ratify and join that treaty. Um, And some of the others who haven't joined are Iran, I think Sudan, and Somalia, Um, and Somalia has a better reason than we do because it lacked government. Um, and, and so most of the countries where your listeners are will already be part of CEDAW. And that's another key mechanism that's used in order to promote reform, to promote equal rights, equal justice. And that's something that uh, folks can also look for as a, an entry point for their engagement. You know, every time I hear there's something the U.S. has not done for women that so many other countries that I've lived in around the world have done, I just, I, I'm never shocked when some when people say, can you guess which countries haven't done this or that for women? I'm always like, the U.S., because there's so many things mm-hmm. we're on a list of, you know, internal um, issues of like, you know, getting leave from work and um, caring, caring for mothers, like, you know, Europe and other places are just so far advanced on caring for moms. And I lived in Singapore and women in the workplace enjoy a lot of equality there. And there's so many laws and places that I've lived that have really protected women on multiple levels. And it's just, I think people are often shocked because the U.S. has had, you know, a strong feminist movement, getting the right to vote. We were one of the first nations to do that for women. And um, we have Gloria Steinem, we have a whole, you know, all these first and second and third wave feminism has come from here. And yet we still are struggling with 
um, these measures that would enshrine these things in our laws and in our policies. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, as you mentioned, you know, beyond the ERA, um, what are some other policy changes or cultural shifts maybe that you believe are necessary to achieve greater gender equality here in the United States specifically? Yeah, well, I think your comment, Lori, was so insightful. And so I just want to pick up on what you mentioned. When we think about cultural shifts, I want to pick up on your observation that you're not surprised after living globally when you hear that the U.S. is lagging behind in important ways, um, because we we do so often. You also mentioned at the top of the show that, that there is um, this sense of um, American exceptionalism, so you didn't use that word. I'm kind of attaching that label to it. But um, I agree that uh, there is a sort of an American tendency or desire to think of ourselves as a world leader on human rights. And that stands in real tension with a way we resist accountability and resist commitment in important ways. And, and that too was part of what inspired me to think about forming uh, a human rights organization that has a domestic focus um, because the value that, that comes up for me there is thinking about taking the plank from our own eye first. So thinking about being truthful, being honest, being accountable and clear-eyed about what's happening in this democracy uh, in order to enter into a global conversation with greater integrity. Um, so that's one cultural shift that I would like to see. I would like to see Americans thinking about how to do human rights here at home. I'd like to see us thinking more about human rights in general, because I've found that in many foreign countries, there tends to be a higher level of fluency or literacy um, I'd be interested to know if you've seen this, but I've seen that a lot of times our mission partners in other countries are more familiar and comfortable with a human rights approach to justice than I think a lot of us are in the United States. So that's really one of the big cultural shifts, as you know, that we're seeking to foster at Justice Revival is deeper commitment to human rights and especially within the Christian community, because um, sadly, again, a lot of the resistance to not only women's human rights, but things like the Convention on the Rights of the Child um, and a number of other human rights treaties or laws, there is a, a right wing religious resistance to those reforms in this country. And that's, again, why it feels so important to speak from a um, commitment to Christian faith, um, guided by Christian values, to speak about human rights as an important uh, touchstone and guidepost for justice. Yeah, <clears throat> so good. We, we value different perspectives here on the A World of Difference podcast, but ultimately, we understand that so many of us have the same goal and the same values, and we're trying to come together even though we're different, right? And so whether you're Catholic or Protestant, evangelical, white evangelical, I think that we can center, as you mentioned in the beginning, about how your Christian faith has taught you 
what it means for the dignity of a human life that we're all siblings on this planet. And I hope that's something we can keep in mind as we listen, even if it, you know, the nuance may sound different for each of us. Right. And so, um, but with justice revival, I'd be interested to know what are some of the biggest challenges that are you're facing as you lead justice revival and maybe similar organizations that are working towards social justice, how specifically could individuals and communities support this work? So some of the challenges I think that we face and other organizations like ours, um, one would be raising awareness about the work we do in the media. A lot of times um, those who are protecting the status quo or trying to resist uh, justice reforms tend to be bigger, better funded, more institutionally connected with the media. And so we are um, in a bit of a David versus Goliath at times on that front. Um, another um, positive challenge we always have is just identifying like-minded leaders who might want to join us, be part of this cause and help to uh, lead and grow and cast the vision for the organization. Uh, I was so glad that we met you through this work along the way and that you came on board last year. And we're just hopeful to continue um, growing this circle of good people who are ready to lead. Uh, and then the third challenge I would mention, I think always in ministry and nonprofit work is we raise the support, the um, the financial support year after year. We do that each year. And um, God has really blessed us and has grown this organization year over year. Uh, and it takes a lot of faith as, as I think you can appreciate and relate to as well. And so um, if people are looking for um, just a ready way to lend their support, um, that's also a way to to be part of this by making a gift if you're moved to do that and in a position to do that. Yes, it's such a great organization to support. I can vouch for this. So um, please check out justicerevival.org and find out ways that you can support um, we just finished uh, a few months ago our year-end giving campaign, and it was a joy just to connect with people who've supported Justice Revival for many years and talk to some new people as well. There's a lot of momentum right now, and it's very exciting, especially around what's happening with the ERA. I wanted to know, as somebody who studied both theology and law, which is an interesting and unusual combination, um, maybe especially for a woman. <laughs> How do you think your different professional experiences inform your approach in advocacy and activism? Well, I started on the law side, and that was a subject I studied as a, as a young person in my early and mid-20s. So I feel like that gave me a strong um, professional framework that is still very influential. And Law is great in sort of the logical rigor, the analytical components. Um, it, it does also involve like a lot of interpretive methods. Like sometimes when we read the Bible and we use different methods, law brings that dimension too and some room for creativity. Um, so I love being a lawyer and I've always really enjoyed the approach that I've learned through the legal profession. Um, also, 
getting into this work as I did uh, leading a field office in Uganda where we worked with widows and orphans and defending their rights against um, attack by more powerful people in their communities, I really saw on a very human level, firsthand, up close, how high the stakes can be when any group of people faces discrimination, faces violation of their rights. So I really carry that with me, like a sense of what the human cost is. When we're talking about discrimination against women, um, sometimes in the ERA debate, people speak as if it's a luxury, but it actually, when you get down to it, I mean, this affects people's ability to survive and feed their families and and just get by and to be safe and to live without fear. And so it um, it hit home for me and that experience has never left me. So when we think about theology, I'm very interested in understanding the practical, pragmatic side, thinking about social ethics. Um, it's harder for me to get too excited about very theoretical approaches unless it feels meaningful to someone uh, whose life is on the line. Mm. So true. I love how the your perspective and theology and law has come together to help all of justice revival be born. Um, and there may be people out there who are wanting to birth something too that are feeling their expertise is, <laughs> can come together for something great. What advice would you give to people who are interested in promoting gender equality and social justice, but they're unsure kind of where to start or, or how to make a difference? Wow. The first thing I would say is trust that instinct, trust that still small voice. Um, I heard that 20 years ago. And so this uh, effort of justice revival, it flowed in part out of, I think, a long, I want to say a long obedience in the same direction. For me, that was my story. Um, but for anyone, trust what you're hearing through the spirit and where your attention and concern and your heart is being drawn. I think there's a lot of information in that. Um, I would suggest rooting yourself in a faith community that can hear and share and support you in those concerns. So if an issue is deeply important to you, it will probably help to be connected with a community that is either already engaged or can really um, understand and support you as a champion of that issue, whether it's gender equality or another justice issue. Uh, I would look for faith leaders you trust, thought leaders you trust. Um, and then maybe if you haven't already, find a way to volunteer at a small level, a local level, um, so that you have a chance to see the issue live and up close and, and gain deeper understanding that way. Great advice. Great advice. And I think a lot of people in this space listening um, of various faith communities are um, always exploring how they can go deeper in maybe ways that don't look typical in their faith. And so 
um, or people listening that have really no faith background at all. And that's not really kind of where they're at. That's not their interest, but can still relate to finding advisors and people around them who can support them, sort of building that village. Some people say build your own board of directors, which you've literally done for Justice Revival. But if you don't have an organization, I think all of us who are trying to make a difference um, really need people to speak into our lives, mentors and coaches along the way. So that's really great advice. Is there anything else that you um, want our listeners to know that you have on your heart today that you want to mention that you think is relevant? Here's your last and best question. Or if you'd rather shout out to a woman on International Women's Day that's meant something to you, you could use this time for that too. Oh, wow. Okay. Fantastic. You know, I think I was just moved to also encourage people, um, people for whom prayer is meaningful to really make prayer a part of this and to do everything you can to take good care of yourself, because this isn't um, quick and easy work. This is something that, um, well, I consider the struggle for women's rights, the struggle of a lifetime, and uh, as are, are many gender and, and justice issues. Um, so that's just encouragement to, to be in prayer, to find spiritual support, and to be good to yourself in the process. Um, let's see. And on International Women's Day, of course, I want to mention my mom, Sue Ann, um, because she is um, the inspiration and and really probably the reason I ended up doing this. She felt so strongly that need for greater justice, for greater equality. And I was immersed in it from early days. And so um, I was thinking of it just this week that that really it's her who in this world planted the seed in me. And I hope that um, I hope that what I'm doing will benefit uh, my niece and generations to come. I hope so too. And I think it will. And I think it already has. Thank you for the great work that you do, Allie. It's just been an honor to have you on the show. How can people find you and more of your work? Uh, where do you want to point them to? Oh, great. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at McKinney Tim. I think we can put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Justice Revival is also on Twitter as well as um, Instagram and other channels. Uh, don't forget justicerevival.org so you can find us there, learn more about the ERA, find resources on human rights, and there's a way to contact us through justicerevival.org. Uh, the email address is info at justicerevival.org. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Allie, and God bless you and all the efforts you're doing both here in the United States and around the world. Oh, thank you, Lori. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. We talked about a lot of heavy stuff today here on this show. International Women's Day, we're talking about half the world's population. That's a lot of things. There's a lot to help be better. And when I sit with Allie and women around the world that are leading like her, I always learn more because the perspectives of women, when we sit and hear both women's stories, such as we are doing in Women's History Month, and hopefully every month and every day of the year, hearing women talking about the stories they see from their perspectives with all the different levels of education and educational fields. 
a woman like Allie is bringing in both law and theology from, you know, very worldwide respected universities where she studied and also worked and still she teaches at Yale. She's, um, she's certainly got her academic chops and she's also got very strong field experience from her work in Uganda and then being a founder of a nonprofit and leading as an executive director so well. Being on her board, I can vouch for the fact that uh, Allie is one of those rare people that is full brain and so much heart. And I um, have just been so blessed to be on Justice Revival board with her and um, working alongside her for the initiatives to help women in the United States and also around the world. As um, this podcast release, I'll be in Abu Dhabi for International Women's Day with all kinds of women around the world and learning from them. If you follow me on Twitter and maybe some of uh, what I post on Instagram and Facebook, I'll be posting updates there. But I just want to encourage all of us to find just one thing. Maybe there was one part of what Ali shared today that really just kind of motivated you or made you upset. You felt the pain of it. There was something that just you felt it somewhere in your body. That's not right. Um and if that was something you felt, I just encourage you to just take one step forward. Maybe it's reading a book or listening to the story of a woman who's experienced something that she mentioned. Maybe it was domestic violence. Maybe it was um, the female genital mutilation, like she mentioned. Maybe it was, you know, issues around protecting women in faith-based spaces from being abused or her letting their stories be heard instead of silenced and buried and discredited. Uh, and being called Jezebel, which we often see. Uh, maybe it was just helping organize around the ERA campaign, uh, contacting uh, your person in Congress that represents you to let them know your thoughts and how you want to be a constituent, which is a very powerful position in America. Um, whatever your next step is, though, I would really love to hear about it. We can't take on all the world's problems, but that's not what we're about here at A World of Difference. This is not about grandiosity. This is about each of us together, shoulder to shoulder, standing all across the world, and we each have a part to play. And we each, each of us taking one step forward together is a lot of steps all simultaneously at once. And when we bring our differences whether it's um, you're a man and listening to the perspectives of women or whether it's you're a woman and listening to the perspective of a woman of a different culture, language, faith, background, educational experience, or socioeconomic status, we all bring differences. Maybe you um, are listening to people with differing abilities and you're trying to be an advocate for women with differing abilities, either in the workplace, in education, in healthcare. There's so many ways to get involved. Um, and I would just love to hear what you're feeling like your next step is today. Once again, we will, we have no possibility of each of us solving all the world's problems, but when we each take a little step forward, you would be surprised how encouraging it can be to share that with others. And I believe that courage is contagious. So maybe you just don't feel like you have the courage today. So if that's the case, I would invite you into understanding that the word courage comes from the root word related to heart. So the word for heart in Spanish is corazón. In French, it also has a C-O kind of beginning. And so this root word of heart and courage being together, it's um, bringing our, our feelings into it. And that's that can be really hard to do. But when you experience the feelings of others and that gives you that courage, maybe that's where you need to start. So 
jump into our Patreon community where we're going to go a little bit deeper with Allie, um, where she talks with us about her mom and how her mom inspired her. And that kind of courage, I think, that she got from her mom really was contagious. And shout out to Sue Ann for inspiring Allie to be the incredible woman she is working for women's and human's rights all around the world. So um, I would invite you and just extend a very warm welcome to you and to our Patreon community. You can go to patreon.com slash the world of difference as little as $5 a month. You can join us and be in there with all of our merch as you um, stay with us for a little while and join into these conversations and exclusive episodes. But you can also just check us out on Twitter. Um, on Twitter, I'm Lori ADBR. We also have a, a a world of difference podcast on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook, which is a little bit tricky nowadays since I seem to be in Facebook jail on our world of difference podcast page for some reason. Um, but our Facebook group is still there, but you'll find me a little more active on Twitter. If you want to join in the conversation about what your next step is for international women's day for women's history month for working for human rights, whatever your next step is that you came out with today, would love to hear about it. And love for that to inspire other people who need a little bit of courage and to help that courage be contagious. Well, this has been an incredible podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are making a world of difference wherever you are. And I'm so glad to be in this community with you. Let us hear from you and we'll talk again next week. Bye, everyone. As we're finishing this episode, if you're thinking, I really wish I could learn more or go a little bit deeper. Well, that's what our Difference Maker community is for. I would love to welcome you in to join the rest of us there. Once again, um, it's only $5 a month to join the price of a latte at your local coffee shop. You can join at our Changers tier. Difference Makers is a community that really means so much to me. It's very special because each time I have a guest on the show, I record something um, outside of what we give to just the regular podcast audience where we go a little bit deeper and then I post those video episodes in this community and we can discuss them. But also at the very uh, beginning tier, which is our changers tier of this community, you'll get exclusive voting power and help pick podcast topics that give us you know, more of what we want from your perspective. You'll have access to exclusive um, 30 plus mini-sodes that aren't out there for the general public. And you'll get every month an exclusive monthly bonus mini-sode. At our Groundbreakers level, which is $10 a month, you can join and get all of that, but also priority access to submit questions to the podcast. And you'll get an additional two exclusive monthly bonus mini-sodes. And at our Trailblazers tier, which is $15 a month, the price of three lattes a month, um, you can get all of that plus also three exclusive monthly bonus minisodes um, and a patron shout out. So I would love for you to join us at any of those tiers. Um, it'll help you come into this community, be in the midst of all of us, other difference makers, and we'd love to hear your perspective. I certainly would. It's a place to engage more with me and the audience around what you like, what you're resonating with, and once again, go deeper with each of our guests. So please join us in this membership community. I would love to hear your perspective and love to share this extra content with you. So show up at patreon.com slash a world of difference. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, 
clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.